Hello, friends, and welcome back to We Can Do Pod Things. I'm Emily. And I'm Annalise. And I must tell you that if you are somebody who is following our Instagram, I am a big lying liar because I had announced that we were going to talk today about the NAP ministry episode featuring Trisha Hersey. It is my favorite episode. However, we are going to delay that episode because we had, this will shock you, a slight communication, miscommunication about the episode we were going to do today. Because it's really my <laughs> fault. And if anyone's a lying liar who lies, it's me. Uh, because, you know, we did our little signature thing where like we very explicitly discussed which episode we were going to do and then talked about a different episode yep. and then got confused. It's it's so charming. We're just adorable. It's really We're adorable that way. I'm choosing to believe that this is how the universe uh, picks for us what we need to be discussing. And the episode that we are going to be doing, which is the Nexium episodes featuring Sarah Edmondson are fantastic. I mean, they blew me away. Um, and Sarah had said on the episode that something that she regrets is that she is now known as the girl from this cult. We're not going to introduce Sarah in that way. We are going to introduce Sarah as a girl who exposed this cult and what was going on and saved a ton of people, including herself, which is what we're all here to do. Absolutely. She is the a woman of courage. Mm-hmm. That's that's how we're gonna she really is. Speak of her. Um our quote of the day is by Sylvie Caucasian. And it says, we won't always know the full story of why some people chose not to be with us. We can hear the story they tell us, but they may not even fully know why they chose to close the door themselves. And we can sometimes find ourselves personalizing endings that actually have nothing to do with us at all. I'm a big fan of Sylvie and her partner. They both have really great, compelling things to say. Um, I would encourage anyone and everyone to... Tune in to her stuff. She has a Facebook page. She has, um, I think she has probably even has a podcast. So highly encourage you to follow her. And it ties in kind of nicely with some of the content that we're going to be discussing today because something that Sarah talked about was the isolation of these, she calls them high control groups mm. and how... Not only did she have to, in some ways, isolate herself from people outside of the group, but then ultimately when she left the group, all of the friendships that she lost. Yeah. People, I mean, she had her very best friend, Lauren, who she lost Mm -hmm. through this really traumatizing experience. And we know that's one of the methods of control that organizations use in order to keep us scared and doing what they want us to do. Mm -hmm. So at one point in this episode, I started thinking, is anything not a cult? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. I mean, even Glennon says that, like uh we're all in a cult. Yeah. We all work. It's worship celebrities. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, my guru is this person on Instagram. Patriotism Mm -hmm. is a cult in its own way. Mm -hmm. Feminism. Feminism is its own cult. Capitalism. I mean, it's all. And listen, don't come for me. I am a feminist. All right. I think it. This is balance. This mm-hmm. is about balance. I think that's what distinguishes a cult from a belief structure is when you're able to allow to and encouraged to do the free thinking yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I think they talk about that at Did one they? point. That may be in the second episode. Okay. But they talk about one of the ways to distinguish is what happens to people when they question the doctrine. Aha. Uh-huh. You know, is there yeah. discussion? Is there an opportunity to grow right. as an organization right. and say, oh, you pointed out a blind spot that we had. Let's Are we work on to that. Get yeah. Curious yeah. And examine that, mm-hmm. or is that a hard pass. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it. Talking point. Yeah. Non-talking point. Well, you bring up the echo chamber sometimes. Uh, Yeah. 
those high control groups mm-hmm. operate decisively in an echo chamber environment. Yeah. All right. Well, we're getting into it. I... Not a cult. We're not getting into a cult. No. But we're getting into the. We're getting into an episode. Yes. We're getting into an. And we're not even encouraging that that y'all form a cult around us, because as gratifying as that would be, and as many of you are, who are probably considered, <laughs> I'm sure that that is. <laughs> Very much a struggle for you all to avoid. We see you. We get it, but let's not. Uh, I have written down day one, what are your limitations? Mm -hmm. And she talks about the very first day that she goes to this, the retreat. They say, what are your limitations? That's not a bad thing to admit to, but... I have learned over the last couple of years who has earned the privilege mm-hmm. of getting that information. Yeah. Who's proven to be trustworthy with that? I have not always been great at vulnerability, nor have I always had a balanced presentation of vulnerability. I grew up with some more loose boundaries as far as like, um, like emotional sharing and stuff like that. So I had a tendency to be too vulnerable mm-hmm. and to give away too much information and to overshare. I think that's also um, sometimes considered an ADHD trait as well. Well, and we also live in a culture that, at least with the the sites and the resources that you and I follow closely, really promotes mm-hmm. authenticity. Yes. And it can feel like in order to be authentic, you have to reveal your whole ass self. Right, <laughs> right, right. Which is not always safe to do. Precisely. And I do know that, that Brene Brown does talk about that in, mm-hmm. in some of her books and how it's not, vulnerability isn't just laying it all out there at all times. Yeah. It's knowing which pieces to share. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that was uh, everything in hindsight. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Everything in hindsight is a red flag. But when you, the very first day you go to this conference and they want to know what your weaknesses are so they can exploit them. But when they package it, like, tell us your areas of growth mm-hmm. and we're going to help you get there. Right. It's that manipulative Who doesn't want to sign up for that? Absolutely. And at, um, Abby even talks about as an athlete that that is their that's their whole thing is like growth mm-hmm. and personal development and how do i figure out my weaknesses and and solve them mm-hmm. and so that would would didn't necessarily seem to be an issue right off the bat if you are anybody listening who is under the impression that you could never get duped by one of these groups you have to tune in to the original We Can Do Hard Things episodes on this. Watch The Vow. I mean. Also, I'm here to tell you I sold essential oils at one point in life, in my life. So <laughs> not a single one of us is without sin. Yeah. I would have been headfirst into something like that. Have you this. ever had any kind of culty like stuff? Oh, Probably. I mean, if I really sat and thought about it. I mean, I also just grew up in an evangelical Baptist church. So that that's the obvious one. But I also bought into the whole MLM essential oils sort mm-hmm. of thing. I mean, I and definitely I, supported those. And, you know, I think they talk about this, but I think one of the dangers of that is there is a little bit of truth in all of that that then gets exploited. So mm-hmm. I do think that the essential oils can be used as a tool to supplement whatever, like I love a little lavender, just dab a little lavender on or drop some in my bathtub or whatever. I swore by clove oil when Jack was teething. Um, I do think that there's something to that, but I don't think it's the put this oil on your broken bone and it's going to get fixed that a lot of people want it to be. A favorite line of mine was, I think it was Sarah who said, there's a difference between a knife in the hand of a 
serial killer and a knife in the hand of a surgeon. Yes. It has everything to do with intent. It's not necessarily even about the tools. It's the intent. Yeah. The intent. Yes. Because you could have a skilled serial killer. Yeah. (laughs) Have somebody who's really adept at chopping up a body. Mm Mm-hmm. That doesn't make them a surgeon. Gosh, I like that. Yeah. I miss that part. And maybe that's in it. The, may be an episode two. Different episode. Um, it also Glennon also talked about too that this whole like tearing down our instincts and stripping our gut intuition. For me, that was very reminiscent of. Y'all remember that Disney movie Mulan? I you'll never believe <gasps> this, but I haven't seen it. I know. And you haven't seen Runaway Bride. And I haven't seen Runaway Bride. I got a lot of work. We're going to have a sleepover weekend and on tap, Mulan, Runaway Bride, right away. I have a whole Christmas break coming up. Just give me a list. Say less. <laughs> Say less. Um, for those of you that were able to enjoy that in your childhood, there was a Banger of a song at the end by 98 Degrees. True to your heart. You oh, I know that song. You should have led with boy bands. Uh, nah. <laughs> Honestly, I thought Disney character was going to get you, but I- that's usually a safe assumption. But right? by the time Mulan, I'm a little older than you are. I think by the time Mulan rolled in, possible. I was way more into boy bands than I was into Disney at that period that's of my fair. life. And look at this friendship just blossoming in front of everybody's ears. <laughs> Learning something new about each other every day. Uh, I remember watching Mulan at a church girls' night function at someone's house. And <clears throat> as soon as that song came on, the adults turned it off and started talking shit about the song. Like mm-hmm. how sinful it was <gasps> because you're not supposed to be true to your heart. Mm-hmm. Your heart is evil. You're supposed to deny yourself the desires of the heart. You can't trust it. And that also reminded me of probably one of the things that fucked me up the most as a kid is a Sunday school lesson that my speakers, my microphone thing is starting to fall apart. Um, On the topic of Mm self-esteem and a very distinct core memory of mine being this Sunday school teacher saying self-esteem is not godly. Self-esteem is wicked. Yikes. We should not have self-esteem or self-confidence and how that just fucked me up. And I've actually talked to a couple people who grew up in the church with me and, and recall that same Sunday school lesson. And we've talked about like the amount of mortal damage. Do you think they're did. still preaching that lesson? Like, do you think there's been any revision at all? I don't know. Since then? I don't know. Part of me thinks no, that there's not been mm-hmm. any revision and that they are still teaching that. But yeah, that's kind of messed up. And mm-hmm. that is exactly the kind of, of, gaslighting and teaching you to second guess your instincts. You're knowing. You're knowing mm-hmm. in order to disembody you that these organizations use, this, the tool and the strategy that they use. Um, I know you talked about how when we did the Enneagram episode and a few times since then, you talked about how you don't prefer the term, you don't love the term integrate. Right. And when I heard them using that word in this context about how that is an idea, of course, they co-opted that idea. I mean, they didn't come up with that idea in Nixium, Mm -hmm. but it's something that they would say or use. I was like, okay, I guess it's ruined for me now too. (laughs) She ain't totally crazy. We had a good run. (laughs) I just feel like there's such an inherent value assigned to integration versus disintegration. And that just doesn't feel right to me. Mm-hmm. I, Say more. Because you have to have both. You can't always be happy. Mm-hmm. And you can't always be sad. You can't always be integrated. And you can't always be disintegrated. And mm-hmm. disintegrated doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing something wrong or yeah. bad or negative or mm-hmm. whatever. It's it's required. Sometimes you have to take things apart completely. You have to disintegrate mm-hmm. all of the pieces 
in order to rebuild and remodel and refurbish the design. So, but I feel like when people hear things like integrate and disintegrate, they think disintegrate, you're falling apart, Mm -hmm. bad, integrate, you're whole, good. And integration sounds like a destination. Right. Like you get there and you're done. And that's something she talks about in this episode about they thought that the goal, they thought that they were going to get to this place where they figured it out and they were going to be enlightened Mm -hmm. and they were no longer going to be reactive. Mm -hmm. That is not real life. And that is not healthy. No, I know that. I I mean, I, I vibe with enlightenment and Buddhism, but it's not about not being reactive. It's, Mm -hmm. it's you, cause you have your feelings are, are, they serve a purpose. They're yeah. valid. Feelings aren't facts. This is, you know, from DBT and Marshall Lenahan, but feelings aren't facts, but feelings aren't false mm-hmm. either. They're not something to be overcome or suppressed or um, gotten rid of. Feelings serve a biological purpose and you can't just have a feeling and just go, meh, mm-hmm. because then you're, you're denying yourself of your instinct and your survival. Mm-hmm. And that's, disembodying. Yeah. A hundred percent. I am going to have to work on distancing myself from that idea because it is something that I kind of ran with for a little while, but it's true. It's, it's cyclical. I think as long as you can hear the word disintegrate or disintegration or whatever, and think about it more as like restructuring Mm -hmm. rather than something like just bad that it's not a, a bad thing, but mm-hmm. I just really like the, it was growth and um, what was the other one? What, instead of integration and disintegration with the Enneagram. It was like s- stress in times of stress. Stress and growth. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, that still have sort of value assigned to it, but I think if you are able to really concentrate on the word growth and stress, stress tests mm-hmm. show us where our weaknesses are. That's not a bad thing. That is something that is very important in the construction of physical things, of virtual things. Stress tests are important. Growth, as we discussed, not always pretty. Pick not a always time beautiful. in your life when you had significant growth that wasn't accompanied by stress. Right? Like you can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. You have to disintegrate before you can reintegrate. Yeah. I also struggle with this a little bit. It's something that I'm sitting with because there's a temptation in certain SEL programs that mm. I've been introduced to, and it's it's designed to empower kids. Right. So there's, you know, the I think the intent is good, but the idea is teach kids that they can manipulate their emotions. Toxic positivity. Mm -hmm. I was was tempted to do a little bit of that when I started doing EMDR. I was tempted to go into some of these experiences that I'd had and gaslight myself into having a different Mm -hmm. physiological Mm -hmm. reaction. Luckily, my therapist is very gentle and guiding and also gave me a minute to be like, oh, no, that sounds terrible before she was like, yeah, we're not doing that. Yeah. Or like when we talk about bullying right. and we tell kids they can only bother you if you let them. Yeah, no. That's not, that's not how, how it actually works. And stones and all that bullshit. Right, yeah. right. And it feels to the kids sometimes, I think, like victim blaming. Yeah. Even though the adults intend it as we want you to feel like you have the power, it doesn't settle with them in that way. Yes, this comes back to dialectics. This comes back to two things can be true. This, mm-hmm. can come, this comes back to something that someone said could hurt your feelings, but we also don't have to give them the power yeah. of the weight of their statement mm-hmm. affecting the way it can, it can hurt and we can acknowledge that it hurts. And then we, we choose to move on. Yeah. Um, there, there's a book that, um, my previous therapist, Holly, who I miss, um, 
told me about called the happiness trap. Mm -hmm. And it talks about how it's actually unhealthy for our brains to expect to be happy 100% of the Mm -hmm. time. It's just not possible. And that's sometimes what some of that toxic positivity or some of that like, it's almost like pull yourself up by the bootstraps, Mm -hmm. sort of like words only hurt if you let them sort of thing reminds me of. It's not very validating of the reality that stuff does hurt Mm -hmm. and stuff is unfair. And that kind of reminds me of like every kid in our generation having heard, well, life's not fair. Mm -hmm. We can acknowledge that that is true and we can also acknowledge that it's bullshit. Yeah. We don't have to sit with it and wrap it around us like a blanket, Mm -hmm. but- both of those things can be true that yes, the world is going to be unfair and that sucks. It's complicated. It's so complicated. Nothing can just be easy peasy. <laughs> no, as you mentioned, that would be so boring <laughs> if if whatever dynamic you have with people in your life was just always perfect. Yeah. It would be so boring. It's like I said earlier, is everything a cult is something that I'm wondering. And also... <laughs> Is there anything in the world that is not layer upon layer of complexity? I false. Yeah. I think that's false. <laughs> uh, so getting back to the episode, she talked about part of this system that was so attractive was that they could measure the growth and you could trust the data. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have to worry about your self-assessment. And that reminds me, hearkening back to trying to automate the human experience. Mm-hmm. I think that was the um, love language episode where it's like, this is the formula. We figured yeah. out the formula. Mm-hmm. And that they talk more about that later on in the episode where it's like, we figured out the science of people. We figured out how to quantify and formulate human emotion. And that's so attractive. Of course it is. You have the answer. You'll tell me the answer. I'll do anything. I'll do whatever you tell me to. What would you do in order to, you know, your personal growth Mm -hmm. or whatever? One of the quotes that they were often asked and the answer is anything. But that, as Sarah references a quote from one of the founders, it's the illusion of hope. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not real. They didn't really figure out human emotion. Listen, we've been having this discussion for the last at least 20, if not 30 years of artificial intelligence, the character data from Star Trek, and how if we can figure out human emotions and master them and write the code for it, and then like that's the key to to AI. But like that's... Not real. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I really don't think that you can do that. I mean, I don't know. I've had some philosophical conversations about like uploading consciousness and, and stuff like that. Cause we are all just electricity, mm-hmm. but you, there, there's no formula for feelings because every person comes from their own perspective and every person comes from their own experience. We're all the main characters in our own simulation. Yeah. And anyone who tells you I've figured out how to automate feelings is full of shit either intentionally or just completely naive because that's not real life and they talk about how they were like imagine what the what this kind of knowledge would be in the hands of world leaders right like they wouldn't they wouldn't go to war with each other and we wouldn't have all these horrible things happen and it kind of reminded me of my firm beliefs that we solve the world's problems by teaching more emotional competency and regulation skills. Hello, Jane Fonda. Yeah. Right? They said that in the episode. Did she? They said if everybody could figure out how to find their way back to themselves, it could change the world. If we remembered how to live – as a community of Mm. people and not just as single out for my own gain individualist family and we're Mm -hmm. a family of everyone. 
yeah, I do firmly believe that if we could teach better emotional regulation and competency skills, then that would solve a lot of the world's problems. Um, and I think the distinction between that and figuring out this science of the illusion of hope is this key is like no where they talk about no longer being reactive where you're figuring out how to master your emotions or you're figuring out how to automate and quantify and and not have to think about your emotions versus emotional regulation being acknowledging that they exist being curious about them and then figuring out what they mean mm-hmm not to master them, but to utilize them as the tool that they are and keep keep them in their proper place. And it's not about not being reactive because there are situations where you are supposed to be reactive. If somebody is chasing you with a knife, you don't stand there mm-hmm. and wait for them to gut you. Yeah. You should be reactive. Right. If somebody comes up and punches you in the face, you don't continue to stand there and let them punch you. You should be reactive. Mm-hmm we don't have to be reactive in every situation and we don't have to be feel like we're a slave to our feelings, but that doesn't mean you just completely get rid of the reactivity to come to begin with. And once you, you know, we've zoomed out from this situation at this point, we see a fuller picture. We'll never probably see the whole picture mm-hmm. of what Nixium was, but when you're looking at the fuller picture, it may seem so obvious. Right. Like these people were more or less saying to members, walk us through how to control you. <laughs> right. Give us the keys to yeah. your house and we promise we won't steal anything. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you can't, when you really break these things down one at a time, you can see why these things work and why they work so well. Yeah. And they were targeted. They targeted just the right kind of people. Mm-hmm. She talks about them being seekers and, and wanting to, and humanitarians and wanting to do better and wanting to do good. They knew exactly who they were targeting mm-hmm. and exactly what to say to get them to buy into their situation, their, whatever their, I don't want to use the word Kool-Aid because that was actually what well, people were forced to drink that. But like, they knew exactly what to say to get these people to buy into their ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes from, it It sounds like this one especially came from a place of people who just genuinely wanted goodness, mm-hmm. to do goodness and to feel connected and feel embodied. And belonging. And belonging. Yep. Such a big part of this whole thing. Yeah. Belonging, that's where we just... Yeah, that it's that desire to belong and people who wanted to be embodied, but instead of actually being embodied, they were disembodying even more. And that now brings me back to some of the notes that I took on verses, scripture verses that Mm -hmm. relate back to this whole idea of not being able to trust yourself and that you need input from someone better and smarter and more experienced than you to tell you whether or not you're a good person. Anytime you have to look outside of yourself for it. Yes. That external control, Mm -hmm. you are going down the wrong road. Now, I will also say that there are times when it is good to have people that you trust to bounce ideas off Mm -hmm. of or to come to and say, am I like out of pocket for this? Yeah, I did that with you just yesterday. It's not that I'm asking you how to live my life or saying like, I have no idea where to turn. What do I do? It's that this is kind of what I'm thinking about and you know me really well. And does this actually align with my values? That's different from going, I don't, I don't know. Have I personally grown enough to ascend to the next sash level or whatever? These people were not giving supportive feedback. They were saying, Lay down on this table and we are going to burn your flesh, Mm -hmm. literally. And you're going to like it. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't like it, there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Maybe you should sit with that. Yeah. Uh, There were verses about um, the heart is deceitful and sick. Jeremiah. The heart of people are full of evil. Ecclesiastes. This verse that versions of it are in both 
Matthew and Mark. I actually read it. Of course, I'd heard it a billion times before and covered my mouth and just sat there and stared for a second. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of your parts of your body rather than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Mm -hmm. That is dis literal disembodiment, mm -hmm. dismembering. That is this sacred scripture telling you you need to disembody yourself rather than be whole. Mm -hmm. Don't get curious about it. Don't figure out what's wrong with your right eye. Or in Mark, he says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, and it's best for you to live, quote unquote, crippled, then have both hands and go to hell. Also, how fucking ableist is that? Is all of this stuff, you know, I assume your Bible better than I do. Are these all Old Testament Those are things? New Testament. Are baby. they really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, some of them, Ecclesiastes, and I'm pretty sure Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. But nope, Matthew, Mark, Romans. Mm -hmm. If you're living according to the flesh, you must die. If you put the death, if you put to death the deeds of the body, you live. That's all New Testament stuff. And you know, I almost reached out to my friend who's a pastor um, to be like, "Hey, man, can you give me some context on why it is that we put so much stock in the words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John?" all the people who wrote the new Testament is these are letters from these figureheads to their churches. Mm -hmm. It's not all necessarily the inspired word of God. Why do we care what these guys had to mm -hmm. say? Because this isn't, and I think some of it is because they believed that these disciples were embodied with the spirit of Jesus and the gifts of of the disciples. Um, but even that little culty. And it makes you wonder, I mean, if you ask someone, I'm, I'm not going to overgeneralize because I'm sure this is not true for everyone. But if you ask someone who makes their living preaching this content, have they ever even been in a space where they could ask that question. Yeah, that's such a you good know? question. Like, yeah. My one friend who's a pastor, I will say, cool as hell. Dude mm -hmm. is cool as hell. And he is excellent at not just accepting this. Yeah. And and not it's he genuinely is a good person and analyzes and, and wants to find the truth of the matter mm -hmm. rather than just whatever the party line is. But yeah, I think that there are plenty of people who don't. And they kind of talk about that in Nexium about how these, so a lot of these people were well-intentioned mm -hmm. and they didn't know that the propaganda that they were spouting was propaganda. The only, the people who knew that it was bullshit were the people at the top. Everyone else was being earnest she was, Sarah was being earnest. I know. And you can hear in her voice that she still has all this guilt. Yeah. And that just broke me. Yeah. Like, I just, I just wish you for just her. You just like squeeze that her and hug her. in her just... lifetime, she cleanses herself of that guilt yeah. that she still Absolves carries. Absolves herself. Yes. Embodies. Mm-hmm. The, oh, that whole idea of the disciples though, to me, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anyone's religion. It feels culty, though, because there's the verse that talks about abandon your family, give up your possessions, or you cannot follow me. That's literally, literally what cults do. Mm -hmm. They tell you you have to leave your family, abandon your possessions, or, or donate them to us. Mm -hmm. That's what Nexium did. That, oh, it, and if you don't do those things, you can't sit with us. Yeah. Well... At one point, they said that Keith Ranieri, who was the founder of this cult, and I do wonder if he ever started out with pure intentions hmm. or if he was a villain from the very beginning. But that's unknowable. Um, but anyway, he would say, Sarah said that when people would leave, he would say, thank goodness they left. He would say, you know, now we know who they are, mm. or now we know that they were never invested in this work the Just way that we are. Completely. So let them go. Yeah. Completely 
just not invalidating Mm -hmm. them and dismissing them. And gosh, and side note, that's one of my big fears is tied to being forgettable. And if I stop hanging out with a person or I stop being a part of a friend group, are they like, God, she was such a pain in the ass. Like, so glad she's not here. Are they talking shit about me? Mm -hmm. Or or have they just completely forgotten me? And there's a, I think it's a Louis Capaldi song that talks about. That man can write a song. Oh, my God. (laughs) He's like the male version of Adele, I think. And he's super funny. Have you seen him in interviews? I've heard some of his interviews. But he talks about, like, I would rather know that you still think about me and, and and you're hurt than that you don't even think about me at all. Mm-hmm. And not that I want to hurt you, but I would rather know that than that you've completely forgotten me. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of work on that. That was something this spring that I went headlong into. And a lot of it also comes back to emotional maturity and not needing the validation, the external validation, the external control from someone else and not caring about what they say about me when I'm not there. Mm-hmm. Some of it is generosity too. And just being able to be generous and say like, why would I assume that they're going to be assholes about me? And then the other part of that is just like, if they are, why does that matter? Am I living in alignment with myself or mm-hmm. am I living in alignment with what they want me to be and look like or sound like or do? So that has gotten a bit better, but that is that that is a fear of mine of when you leave a group, them going. She was never really committed to the cause mm-hmm. to begin with. She was never really in her circle. And ironically, he created the tenets of this organization. And one of them, one of the principles was it is dishonorable to speak negatively about people behind their backs or, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but isn't because that interesting? He was protecting himself. Mm-hmm. He didn't want anybody to say anything bad about him. And so that's the way that he would discourage them from doing that. Do as I say, not as I do. It is dishonorable. Only if you do it. Mm-hmm. It's okay if I do it. Yeah. And Vanguard. that double standard <laughs> that double standard right there for me is always going to be a massive red flag, Mm -hmm. even if it's the first one, that right there will make me pause and say, whoa, hold on a minute. Why are there different standards? Sometimes it is necessary Mm -hmm. for for someone with more experience or um, research or whatever. Someone has to be in charge Mm -hmm. and someone does have to have the final authority. In, in many, many situations. But when it comes to rules and morality, if it's, if it's, you're assigning shame and morality or immorality to something that I do, mm-hmm. but not to what you do, and you can't explain to me or give me some direction as to No, not only am I why, not going to explain it to you, you're not allowed to ask me. Right, you can't, you're not even allowed to ask mm-hmm. me that. And now, of course, I'm having a flashback to all of the times I've ever told my child, do it this way, or I can't give you that information, or we just can't do that thing. And they say, but why? Yeah. I'm known for saying sometimes the answer is just because. Yeah. And actually, Jack and I have had this conversation about like, he's like, it sucks when parents just say, because I said so. And I was like, do you know why we do that? Because sometimes we are too... Did we have this conversation? I mean, if we haven't had this conversation, it's miraculous. I definitely just had this conversation recently with someone. Sometimes it's just too... I'm too tired. Mm -hmm. I can't explain to you how I know it. I just need you to trust that I do know it. Maybe be be more selective with the quality of your questions if you want quality answers to all of your questions. (laughs) And I know Jack Jack likes to say, I'm a curious child. We love you so much, our babies. But oh gosh, the questions, you guys. Like at the end of the day, you just, I just need you to trust that I know what I'm talking about because I am 36 years Mm -hmm. old and you are, are eight. 
and you are very smart. And I know that the reason that you're asking me why is because you're smart and because I fostered an environment where you can ask questions. You do feel safe asking questions, but maybe it's just not those questions mm-hmm. in this grocery store yeah, or on this car ride home when my brain is already fried from rating the con- top five condiments <laughs> from one to five or whatever weird stuff kids do. Sometimes I have, I'm just too tired. I have learned to rely on Alexa for a lot of <laughs> the questions that have actual answers. Yeah. I'm like, that's a good question that's for asked. Alexa. Yeah, that is, that's so valid. I wish that I... At one point in time, I was like, why Why would you need an Alexa CarPlay? Like, that's so dumb. You just plug your phone in. Well, because it's a whole extra step to pull Alexa up and ask her to search the internet when you're on your phone And there's in your no car. place where my kids ask more questions than, than in the car. Than in the car, right? There's something about being isolated mm-hmm. in this tin can hurtling through space that just makes them all curious. Needing <laughs> to know all of the answers. That meme where it's like me hydroplaning through four lanes of traffic. <laughs> And my kid in the background saying, mom, I said, knock, knock. <laughs> God, it's so relatable. It hurts. Mm-hmm. God. That song, that makes me feel very connected. <laughs> and if you laughed along with that, then I hope you feel connected mm-hmm. too, because that's legit. So again, it comes back to balance. It's okay to ask questions. It It's also okay to trust someone who has earned it with being able to say, I need you to understand that I have the experience. I think the thing about that too is though, it's not like I'm ever, it's not like I'm saying, don't ever ask me that again. It's just that it's a not right now. Mm-hmm. If you want to talk about this later, I'm, I will always revisit a topic, even if it's like the 10th or 11th visitation mm-hmm. of the topic. I'm happy to do that. And that's honestly a lot of what we do our best conversations are as Jack's falling asleep. We lay in bed next to each other. I lay in his bed or on their little pallet on the floor that they have that came from you guys. Oh, good. And we talk about stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something about being in the dark. And I've talked about this with one of my other friends. Shout out to Mary. Um, About laying on the floor in the dark and not having to look the other person in the eye Mm -hmm. that just makes it more disarming and easier to ask some of the hard questions or talk about the uncomfortable things because you're not on red alert or on high. And that's why those bedtime conversations are some of my favorite. I mean, that's so valid. There was after the um, Uvalde shooting, having to have a conversation with Jack about, why that would happen. Mm-hmm. And again, my answer to that is emotional regulation. Because uh, there's a, a movie called, I think it's called American. And Belonging. And Belonging. There's a movie called American Tragedy with Sue Klebold, who is the mother of Dylan Klebold, one of the Columbine shooters. And she goes on, on this exploration of like, how did my son do this? And Spoiler alert, she realizes it's because especially men were not fostered the ability to regulate or understand their emotions. And so then this this anger builds up and um, there's this fact in the movie that is so compelling to me about like the people who um, commit mass murders often also commit suicide or are also suicidal. Mm-hmm. And the overlap between those is more about that self-hatred piece or that needing a way out because I don't understand my feelings and I don't know how to get out of this hole. And so now I'm going to take everyone with me. And just a moment of recognition for people like Susan Klebold or mm. Sarah Edmondson. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has got to be so hard to go public with a story like that, but so important. The but emotional so maturity important. it takes to be able to sit there and say, I fucked up. Mm-hmm. Or I was willing to go back and look and entertain even the possibility that 
I had some sort of involvement mm-hmm. in this. And that vulnerability and, and being willing to sacrifice your, not even, rep, not really reputation, but just being able to say to, that's a humble yourself before the Lord sort of situation. Well, and it's walking headfirst, eyes wide open into judgment. Yes. And accountability. Undoubtedly. I mean, you know that there is a wall of judgment mm-hmm. and you are just walking straight ahead and trusting that if you show these people your heart, they will make a way for you. Mm-hmm. I I wonder if it's kind of twofold. It's It's about trusting that I'm going to show these people my heart and they're not going to decimate me. But then also knowing I'm going to show these people my heart and some people are going to try Mm -hmm. to, some people are going to be mean and harsh and cruel and Yeah, having to make peace with that on the outset of doing something like that. And being strong enough to go, I know that that's going to happen and I'm going to choose not to give that the weight of and not let it tear me Mm -hmm. down and not let it make me feel like I'm a piece of garbage or whatever. Because ultimately, I mean, what those two stories have in common is that I think a misstep that a lot of us would make is to think that could never happen in my family. That could never happen to me. And you hear these stories and you realize that could a thousand percent happen to any of us. Are you aware that we are all going to die someday? (laughs) This is why we have anxiety. Mm -hmm. This is why we go, oh, my son would never... Until you get that phone call mm-hmm. from the school that says, hey, your kid had a weird interaction with a classmate this week. And you, again, we have to trust ourselves that we're doing everything that we can. We're doing the right thing. And we we are doing the best that we can with the tools that are available to us. It's about balance. But that's why we have anxiety. It is insane how much I pinball between <laughs> thinking I am raising the sweetest, most wonderful children in the world and thinking that I am raising absolute psychotics. Not me completely <laughs> understanding that statement. It's that whole bit. And it takes, I mean, it can happen on a dime. I love to talk about how parenting is this whole new world of two things can be true mm-hmm. at the same time. I can love, the purest form of love, every aspect of this being's body while he's asleep. And I miss him when he's asleep. And the second that fucker's awake, I'm like, can you please not? I love you so much, but not right now. I want to love you from a distance right now. I would really like to love you over here in my bubble while you're over there entertaining yourself. And... That is parenting in a mm-hmm. nutshell. Someone said to me the other day, parenting is cringy. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wanted to be like, what do you know about that though? <laughs> what about it is cringy to you? Because mm-hmm. you don't have any kids and you oh, don't know what you're talking about. I didn't, but I didn't know that piece of information. But it is. It, mm-hmm. But it is also kind of, it can be cringy. It can be like, God, I signed up for this shit. Mm-hmm. But it's that also willingness to open myself up and say, okay, I did sign up for this shit. What can I do? How can I get the silver lining out Mm -hmm. of this? How can I glean the good out of what is oftentimes literally a shitty situation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, nothing. I, that's not true, but not many things break you down. (sighs) In the way that parenting does. And if it didn't also build you up, mm-hmm. nobody would do it. Mm-hmm. But we don't talk as much as we should about how much it just humbles yes. all of us. And, you know, I think it's really important to point out that there are people who have decided that they do not want to have kids. Mm-hmm. And 100% I support that. And I don't want it to sound like I'm saying... It's good that you didn't choose that because like you're not strong enough to get through this parenting experience that the the self-reflection that you no that's not what I'm saying. I'm but I am saying it's not for everyone. 
Mm-hmm. And I think some people have been duped into, by some I mean, probably a good 50% of people Mm -hmm. were duped into thinking this is what I have to do. This is what I need to do. This is what I do to be whole, but it's not. And there's nothing wrong with saying that is not my love language. Mm -hmm. That is not my passion project. That is not where I get my fulfillment out of because we need all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. We need people who choose not to have kids so that they can focus on what they want to accomplish and where their gifts lie and where their skills lie. And if it's not with this constant cycle of tearing yourself down and rebuilding yourself up again, there's nothing wrong with that. This is or a topic for or another else. day, but I've always find, I've just always found it weird that people had judgment for individuals who choose not to have kids. That's just not a lane that I ever found myself in. And it's not something that I even relate to or understand. It's because people are scared of things that they don't understand. And it's that lack of ability of emotional maturity. Yeah, I guess people like to be able to put other people in a box. And if you are not doing what I expect you to do, Mm -hmm. then you must think there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Instead of going, instead of recognizing that just like it's what is Good for you can be bad for me. What is bad for me can be whatever. And it's not about you. Yeah. We say that with all the love and empowerment, it's not always about you. It's not always about me. As I look in the mirror and oftentimes say, quit it. It's not about you. In fact, it's probably usually not about me or about you. You know, like. God, and that goes back to that (laughs) freaking quote from Mm -hmm. Sylvie where we can sometimes find ourselves personalizing endings that actually have nothing to do with us at all. Yeah. It's not about me. Your decision to not have kids is not about me. But we all imagine ourselves as the main characters of our own story. Mm -hmm. And so anything that finds its way into our story has to be explained. Yeah. Yeah. What's the purpose? Mm -hmm. Why does it hurt so bad? (laughs) Why? Why the suffering? All right, let it. I don't. Can we? We've got to talk about the collateral. Yeah, we got to talk about the collateral. Oh God, yeah. Mm. How? So she talks. Oh God, and she even mentions it. (laughs) She she even mentions it in this as they're starting to talk about the inner circle group, the collateral, and this friend, her best friend, who she trusted above all else, Mm -hmm. the Emily to her Annalise. Ditto. Saying, I want to tell you about this thing, but I need some collateral before I can do that. And that having been normalized at that point, but collateral being some kind of dirt. Which BT dubs, if you don't already know your best friend's <laughs> dirt, are you even best friends? Bitch, what you do with the last <laughs> list I gave you? Did you think there was more? Also, you've been there for half the shit on it. So what do I what do you need me to tell you? But I guess it needed to be in writing. Uh, it needed yeah. to be in writing with a signature. It needed to be accessible if they needed it for blackmailing purposes. And that harkened back a conversation I had with someone that I had been dating about the Freemasons. And that being um, one of the tools of what I'm assuming is a corrupt branch I don't know. I, I I don't know much about the Masons. I know that my my dad's father was in it. My granddad um, was active in it. I my family was not quite as involved in it as this person's family, but that was a thing they would do. Is they would they would take pictures mm-hmm. of the men with strippers or doing these horrible terrible things. And that was what kept them to secrecy. Interesting. I never knew so it, that. So this isn't a new idea. No. And that and that's for an original she, idea. No. And that's when she said something about this is like the Freemasons, but for women, I was like, ah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. They were already kind of aware of that culture. Yeah. And the this this idea of the power dynamic that I have to have power over you in order for you to obtain this knowledge that I have. I can't tell you what it is, but I can tell you that you're going to want to know. And 
then also the second component of that being something that you are too ashamed of to hold yourself accountable for. Mm-hmm. That's that is some deeply ew, deeply ew, icky, icky stuff. And the way around that is, I don't care if you tell somebody X Y Z about me. Mm-hmm. I'll tell it first. Get ahead of the of the headlines. I mean, it's just it's so heartbreaking to think of these women who thought that they were among their closest. That they loved each most other. Most trusted. I mean, the the level of betrayal there is hard to even wrap your head around. Yeah. Those of us with abandonment issues are being awful quiet. Yeah. I mean, you could make a case for that being worse than the actual physical branding experience. Yeah. I mean, it's an emotional brand. Mm-hmm. It's a it's p- part of disembodying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, one other thing I want to talk about is very quickly where she was, she said, they talked about riding the high. About they wanted to get back to that first day feeling where they were so excited and they were so emotionally involved mm-hmm. and they were so passionate about it. And that to me spells out emotional addiction. And well, it's designed that way. Right. They talk about, it's a strategy. It's called love bombing. Yes. And when you first enter in, they just pummel you. Yeah. With attention, affirmation, all of these things. And there are certain personalities and certain people with certain backgrounds who are more prone to emotional addiction Mm -hmm. than others. Those of us who grew up in a chaotic environment or an environment where it was very unpredictable or the dynamic was constantly shifting our brains very early on learned to rely on that high, high and low, low, that dopamine and adrenaline and that, and that oxytocin being mm-hmm. very quickly followed by, or very pre just previously by whatever neurotransmitter and emotion. And that, that is, then that gets written in our code of this is how the world works. This is what feels right. Mm-hmm. This is how it should be. And I would be interested to know if those are the same type of people that are drawn to being seekers mm-hmm. and humanitarians and helpers, twos, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And also, I mean, there's definitely space in a group like this for threes who oh, right. want to excel, want to be ones. the best, want to get all their sashes. Mm-hmm. and Ones who want to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Fours, mm-hmm. literally called the performer. Yeah, I mean, nobody. If I mean, we could go around the entire Enneagram. I'm sure we could. Yeah, I'm sure. And find... Well, God, eights, being the overachiever. Mm-hmm. The individualist mm-hmm. who feels... Well, we talked about the fours. But I mean, there's something there for everyone. Something for yeah. everyone yeah. in this cult. Mm-hmm. They, they did figure out the formula. They did. They did figure out the emotional formula. They figured out the emotional formula of manipulation. And they probably could have kept getting away with it for a really long time. These damn kids. You almost got away with it. <laughs> I mean, if they hadn't decided or he hadn't decided that he wanted to formalize this group of women that he wanted sexual access to... <laughs> If he hadn't decided to do that, he may have continued to get away with this entire scheme. I am going <laughs> to indulge in one moment of sexism here for just a second. And isn't that just the downfall of man is when someone is out there thinking with their dick. Mm. Has anything good actually happened from a man who tried to figure out how to satisfy himself by preying on someone else. Has that ever resulted in anything good? And I would love to know, again, unknowable, but I would love to know how much of it was about the sexual satisfaction Mm -hmm. and how much of it was about the control, the power. Now that you say that, 
I also want to know what his family of origin was like and what his relationship with his mother was like. I know they talk about it in the Do they? It's been too long since I've watched it, but I know it's in there. I know that sounds very Freudy. I know that that's like so overdone, except that it's not overdone, Mm -hmm. except that there is science to knowing that when we don't have a stable or secure attachment to our parent figures, that creates the propensity for things like psychopathy, being a serial killer, mm-hmm. and and the effect of maternal deprivation on people. It's that interesting. There's actually a paper that I heard about today that I'm going to see if I can find where this woman um, studies, I think it's like 50 of the world's top serial killers and finds that the vast majority, I think it's like... 70 to 75 percent of them report having been abused in childhood mm-hmm. and then it also that yes maybe there were 30 percent that didn't but that doesn't mean it didn't happen mm-hmm. but anyway well and when you explain to these people in this study that okay we're going to ask you about your abuse do you let them know that that includes emotional abuse right Because a lot of people hear abuse and they only think physical or sexual abuse. And they don't think about neglect. Mm -hmm. That is always a big piece for me is that when we say neglect, it's not just not changing your diaper or it's not just never smiling at your kid or talking. There's emotional neglect and it doesn't have to be intentional. It's not like abuse, which is that physical, purposeful action, the absence of an action can be just as harmful. And it's not, but it's not necessarily intentional Mm -hmm. and how dangerous that is too. And if you're not thinking, oh, well, emotional neglect. Yeah, that happened to me. You're not going to report it. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about, did you say it was a woman who did this research or this paper. I hope she was taking good care of herself while she was digging into all of this because man, oh man, you spend a lot of time in that place, Mm -hmm. in that dark place. I mean, for the good of academia, but- Mind hunter vibes. mm -hmm. And I I don't know if this is good to mention or not, but so I've been listening to this podcast called uh, Killer Psyche and then she has a daily, a shorter magazine of Killer Psyche Daily. And she's a, a former uh, psychiatric nurse. She was like head of nursing at like Northwestern or psychiatric nursing at, at Northwestern who became an FBI agent. And she talks about a lot of the cases that she's, she's seen some things. She's seen some shit. <laughs> um, I mean, literally, she was the one that brought in Ted Kaczynski. Oh, wow. There's like a very iconic photo of Ted Kaczynski, just tattered clothing, but wearing this jacket. And that was her son's jacket that she was wearing that day. Mm. And it had been so cold out. So anyway, like now, whenever I listen to an episode, as soon as she talks about a poor relationship with the mother or maternal deprivation, their name goes on a list (laughs) on an index card (laughs) on my bathroom mirror. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's that's how did we get here? How did we get here? Emotional How do addiction. we ever get anywhere? Right? <laughs> Does it even matter? Isn't it's not about the destination, it's about the that's journey. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. For those of you who are still with us, we're going to bring it back to what we started out discussing, which yeah. is this Nexium episode, the experience of Sarah, her husband. Mm. I mean, she was among a group of especially celebrities. They talked about how he looked for celebrities to recruit into this group, not unlike Scientology, mm. because yeah. they come in with their own status mm-hmm. and that's going to attract more people and automatically. It, yeah. Girl, we didn't even get to all the notes I had on boundaries. Mm. Are we going to do a part two of this or are we just, is this one and I done? think we can. Okay. So maybe we'll save that for part two because this is already longer than an hour. And I know that as pleasant and peaceful as our voices and cackles are, (laughs) there's only so long anyone can engage in this. And this was a really winding one too. (laughs) 
Yeah, we're trying, <laughs> sort of trying a new format, and um, it 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 might not last. I don't know. Give us your feedback. Let us know. Send us an email at um, podthingspodcast at gmail.com. Send us a message on Instagram at we underscore can underscore do underscore pod underscore things. Um, follow us. Uh, we are streaming on Apple, Google, Zencaster, and Spotify. Uh, note to our listeners, if you are looking for us on Spotify or you're listening to us on a different platform and would like to use Spotify, because we don't pay them to promote our stuff, you have to search We Can Do Pod Things by Annalise and Emily in order for it to show up. So just a little side note. Any final thoughts, my dear friend? I'm actually going to come to the table with notes. Let's, let's say this for the record. Next week, we are going to be talking about part two of the Nexium episode. Okay. Is that correct? <laughs> I will verify that, even though before we started this episode, I sent you a link to the other one. (laughs) But we are looking each other in the eye Mm -hmm. and openly communicating episode two of the Nexium cult saga thing. Okay. If you like it, I hope you come back. If you don't like it, thank you for listening, anyways. I'm Annalise. I'm Emily. And we're so glad you stopped by. Thank you.